When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the State of Health, the podcast where patients put healthcare decision makers and thought leaders in the hot seat. I'm Gunnar Esiason. Today's show carries on the antibiotic resistance series. So far, you've heard from a patient advocate about living with an antibiotic resistant infection, a politician who is trying to fix the market disincentive at the heart of the crisis. Check your feed to see those episodes. Today, we turn to the business of biotechnology and early stage investing. Henry Skinner is the CEO of the AMR Action Fund, a novel investment fund with the goal of investing more than $1 billion into small biotech companies hoping to bring novel antibiotics to market. Today, we're going to chat about the steps the AMR Action Fund will take to improve the innovation ecosystem at the heart of antibiotic drug development. Let's talk about the state of antibiotic resistance. All right, Henry, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for the invitation and uh, a pleasure to be here and look forward to it. So I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Um, I, uh, I I am a business student or well, I guess I was a business student. So I'm definitely enamored with uh, you know, the market issues that are in the antibiotic world and and definitely uh, have been an admirer uh, from afar of the, of the folks who are sort of knee deep in it all. Um, I want to learn more about the AMR Action Fund. What is it and, and why is it needed? Uh, th- thanks, Gunnar, and thanks again for the invitation. Uh, so the AMR Action Fund uh, is a venture fund. It was created to address the immediate issues of a lack of investment capital to advance innovative new antibiotics to patients for the treatment of infections caused by drug-resistant pathogens. The fund was formed through a collaboration of the World Health Organization, the Wellcome Trust, the International Pharmaceutical Manufacturers Association, uh, recognizing that there was a a broken market and insufficient capital flowing into this very important area. Uh, And so recognizing the need, they came together, uh, conceived of the fund, um, and now over 20 pharmaceutical companies joined by the Wellcome Trust, the European Investment Bank, the Novo Foundation, the Bangor Ingelheim Foundation, uh, have committed a billion dollars to the fund and, and to this initiative, I think, which is a remarkable statement of the recognition of just how urgent and, and big the problem is. Um, the fund's goal uh, at the highest level is, is pretty simple. It's to finance the advancement of two to four new antibiotics to treat the most urgent drug-resistant infections and to do this by 2030. Uh, We will invest in clinical stage biotechnology companies that are developing innovative antibiotics that do treat the most urgent infections uh, around the world uh, caused by priority pathogens and they've been identified by the World Health Organization and CDC. So this is a very transparent uh, approach to our prioritization. Uh, We'll not only invest capital, which is desperately needed, but we will engage collaboratively with the companies to bring scientific, clinical, regulatory, public health know-how to help accelerate the advancement of these urgently needed medicines. So at at the end of the day, it it is a venture fund. It's, it's, you know, following the the venture capital model that exists in, in biotech. 
But can you explain how it might be a little different from, you know, what someone might consider to be a traditional biotech venture capital fund? Uh, absolutely. And I've been um, making investments in biotechnology venture funds for the past 15 years or so. And, and it is different um, in, in some ways, and it's, it's very, very similar in others. Um, one of the key difference is that traditional venture funds invest um, across therapeutic areas, uh, across uh, clinical needs, devices, diagnostics, uh, oncology, inflammation, uh, et cetera. Um, we are, are different chiefly because we focus on uh, drug-resistant infections and, and developing new antibiotics to, to the highest clinical need. Other VCs looking at other areas look to optimize their financial returns for those who invest in the VCs um, and, and balance that with, with high-risk opportunities, uh, say in immuno-oncology or genetic diseases uh, or, or other areas, um, rather than on purely the, the clinical need and the medical need for, for programs. Uh, and that, because the market's broken for uh, new antibiotics, they shy away and, and have not been investing in new antibiotics. Their opportunity for return is simply too much higher in other areas to invest in this. Uh, and that's exemplified by you know, a number of things in the broken market, but, but chiefly over the last few years, we've seen a number of notable bankruptcies, five or six, including Melinth and Acajian, just to name a couple. Um, and, and it's pretty clear if you're a classic venture capitalist or, or a traditional venture capitalist invest where you can invest in any area that you can't afford to invest in areas that you don't believe have a return because the market's broken, not because you can't develop good drugs, not because patients don't need them, but because your company would go bankrupt and, and follow the recent history. Uh, and, and so, you know, our approach, you know, to be singly focused on antibacterial and antifungal new discovery and development for, for patient benefit allows us to find the best, most interesting priorities to focus on the clinical need and patient benefit uh, and to bring those to market. Uh, and that's probably the biggest difference. Otherwise, we're similar. We look at companies the similar way. We, we try to find the best projects, the best teams, the best entrepreneurs, um, and the best plan to to bring these new drugs to to patients. It, it, would it be fair to say that your your appetite for risk or or the fund's appetite for risk is a little different than a traditional VC in the sense that, you know, when I think about a different like portfolio approach across different th therapeutic areas, like you're diversifying a portfolio, right? But for the AMR Action Fund, it sounds like that's just is different in that in that way. Well, that's different. It's different in a couple of ways. So you certainly a traditional fund might diversify by doing some oncology investments, some investments in um, Alzheimer's, some investments in inflammation or women's health or what have you. Um, but but even beyond that, and while we don't look to that, we will we will diversify in other ways uh, within within the field. Um, the chief difference is, I think that. And venture fund, you know, traditional venture funds are, are looking at recent history, what's hot in the marketplace, uh, what's perceived as being uh, high return potential, uh, and, and that we're not doing right. So we've made the strategic decision. We were uh, came to formation to focus on this critical need, and so we're taking as, as an assumption that the risk of 
the, the commercial risk of these products or of our investments in the marketplace uh, is separate from our vision of, of bringing new products to the market mm -hmm. in this space. Uh, and so I guess you, you might, to phrase it differently, we believe that there needs to be changes to the marketplace uh, in, in order to drive innovation and bring new products to the market here. I think we're optimistic that happens uh, over the next period of time. I don't know if that's one year, five years and when it happens. Uh, and if it does, then I think Mark, venture capital will flow back into the space. So I think where others are looking at it and saying, we're not going to invest unless we see that change. Mm -hmm. We're investing in advance of that change that we're optimistic comes uh, as a strategic piece of our existence or, or a piece of our formation. Um, to put it another way, I think, you know, the way we came about and the commitment from the pharmaceutical industry, uh, the Wellcome Trust, European Investment Bank, is recognizing the need to society, the need to patients for these new antibiotics, um, and looking to bridge the gap in time from today when there's not capital being invested here to the policy changes that bring capital back in. Uh, mm -hmm. And hopefully we, if, if you will, although I don't think it's enough money, but hopefully we buy time uh, for this to happen uh, over the next you know, one to five years, perhaps, uh, while mm -hmm. there's, there's an opportunity. Uh, and, and by doing this, we, we keep the, you know, this sector of the industry alive, we keep innovation going and, and we move drugs to the benefit of patients through approval um, while that's happening. We'll be right back with Henry Skinner. It sounds like you've touched on this a little bit, but my next question really for you is what is the challenge uh, of bringing a new antibiotic to market? And when I think about that question, when I think about, you know, when I wrote that question, uh, my, my memory goes back to a, a, a business school class that I had where we had venture investors, sort of like a panel. Uh, and I admittedly asked a loaded question and I said, you know, would, would your fund ever invest in an antibiotic? Um, and the panelists said, no way in hell we would touch that with a 10 foot pole in the sense that, you know, the reimbursement risk for a new, a new antibiotic is just so severe that it, it wasn't, it wasn't for them. Um, and then of course, in the last couple of episodes, we've touched on some of the market disincentives that exist, um, in the, in the antibiotic space. So, so what really is the challenge facing, uh, drug makers in bringing an antibiotic to market, uh, and sustainably? Yeah, I think it, I think sustainably is the, the critical piece and, and their short-term challenges. But but first, you know, there are many of the same challenges we face in this field as in any other field to bring a new drug to market. It, it's a difficult business. It's full of risk. We we know a lot about how to do that, but uh, you know we need highly efficacious, extremely safe drugs, and and that takes some trial and error and clinical studies and and you know phenomenal researchers and drug developers to bring that about. So it's intrinsically risky, in some ways not much different than other fields. And, that, and that's fine, right? I think we are comfortable, uh, investors are comfortable in taking that sort of risk and, and really being pretty effective at finding the best programs to finance and bring forward all other things being equal. Um, but the challenge is in antibiotics, and you touched on in your question in, in your class, um, if there's no market, so if you're successful in bringing it to market and it fits what we need from the standpoint of addressing drug-resistant infections, but the market failures are such that you can't get a return on your investment. In other words, you don't get paid for that success. You, you know, venture investors and other investors will not invest if they believe there's zero chance of success. 
right? Mm -hmm. That risk reward has to be tied together and it's not in this marketplace. Um, for good reasons that we can touch on. Uh, I think you know, we need the new antibiotics, um, but the challenge is, is we want, as a society, we want those new antibiotics to be used sparingly. In other words, we want the right antibiotic to be used for a particular patient at a particular point in time that is the right antibiotic for them. Often mm -hmm. that's not the latest antibiotic. It's an antibiotic that, that we might've had for 20, 30, 40 years. And if that's effective, we should use that. And we should hold these new drugs back from their use because the more we use them, the faster we get drug resistance to the new drugs as well. Uh, we will always have this challenge. And so we need good stewardship. In other words, we need this focus of, let's really use the right drug for the right amount of time in the right patients at that moment. Um, the consequence of this is that these new drugs are used sparingly. Um, mm -hmm. It's the one field in pharmaceuticals that you, we as a society don't want these drugs used in maximum volume. We want them used appropriately. Uh, but that discordance then is the challenge, right? M most companies make money by finding every patient who will benefit and, and bringing those drugs that benefit to each of those patients. So your reward is tied to volume. Uh, here, the reward is really, uh, at least in the short term, tied to, to much less volume because you're trying to use other things where appropriate. Um, and that, that benefit for society is achieved over a very long period of time. As resistance gets higher, these drugs get used more. Um, but that might be a decade or two out before you've really, you know, are optimizing uh, or bringing much patient benefit than from a number standpoint as you were the day that you, you made the antibiotic. But resistance only goes up um, and we need them today. There, there may be fewer patients that need them today than they will be in 10 years. But if we don't find a way to pay for this value, we won't have them when we really need them. And, and that's really the crux of the problem. So we've got this stewardship issue, which we absolutely want to have. Um, and you could argue across the world, we also have an access issue. So if we think about resistance, it forms when we're not using the right antibiotic. And if we don't have good access to antibiotics around the world, resistance will rise in places that are using old and tired antibiotics inappropriately. Uh, and that resistance comes around the world in fairly short order. We've certainly seen what happens with mutations and the spread of them with COVID. And the same thing happens with, uh, um, with pathogens as well. Um, and so we need to stay ahead of it and we have that challenge. But the net sum is, is we need to find a way to reward innovation in the space and to bring the needed drugs to market in a way that recognizes the value to society in the long run and the appropriateness of, of its use in, in the short run. In other words, let's bring the benefit to patients for today and tomorrow and invest in that um, infrastructure, if you will, of treating infections uh, for the long-term benefit of society. So, so that, that's really the biggest challenge we have and, and that market failure um, ends up in a vicious cycle that now investors won't invest in the space because there's no way to make money in it. And so they invest in other opportunities in auto inflammation, arthritis, you know, needed things. Um, but the dearth of investment is, is a great risk for us here. It will strangle innovation. Uh, it will you know, lead to few, if any, new antibiotics approved. 
Uh, and in the long run, that, that's going to be very detrimental. Already, we have you know, 35 to 50,000 people in each of the US and Europe that die of these infections a year, uh, over 700,000 a year around the globe, and projections of as many as 10 million a year by, by 2050, which is you know, not too, too far out. Um, and, and if this continues to grow, the, the cost to society is huge. And given right. that it takes 10 to 15 years to develop a new antibiotic, we have to stay ahead of it and we have to be a decade or two ahead of when the need is, is acute and urgent and, and significant. And, you know, I think for, for, for health policy nerds like myself, you know, uh, having read Jim O'Neill's the review, the review on antimicrobial resistance, a lot of those themes sort of, you know, resurface themselves over and over again. Um, but I, I want to talk about the AMR action funds, uh, like place inside the biopharma and innovation ecosystem. Um, talked about how um, you know, pharma companies are either partners with uh, with the AMR Action Fund via you know funding or uh, sort of uh, just tangentially. Why why aren't and maybe you've touched this a little bit, but why aren't pharma companies just using their corporate venture arms to do this work? Like why why are they you know putting this onto uh, the AMR Action Fund as a as a as a sort of an independent fund? Yeah, so so I, I think. I guess I would probably start by saying, I'm not sure pharma companies aren't using their corporate venture arms to do this work. Or the inverse is if I look back in time and, and I was in corporate venture uh, some years ago uh, and led deals in the space. And I was drawn by other corporate venture funds in investing in antibiotic companies. So it's not necessarily that they're not, um, but they're not singularly focused on it. And each company who has the venture arm invests in different ways, often strategically to the company and if the company is in uh, AMR work, that's great. If they're not, it's a bit out of uh, mm -hmm. subject matter for that particular fund. More importantly, I think with the AMR Action Fund, because we're focused on this and because we've been able to, to secure commitments to a billion dollars, you know, we're able to bring a particular focus to uh, AMR activity. So we are, are developing and, and building a scientific advisory board that will be unparalleled uh, in venture in this field, uh, whereas other SABs and other venture groups have broad, and rightly so, a broad diversity of experience and, and expertise that, that may touch on AMR, ours is singly focused on that. And so, you know, both the amount of capital and, and the focus, I think, is a key driver uh, that allows, you know, much more effective engagement than individual pharma companies doing individual uh, things with their corporate venture arms. Uh, and I'm not sure that that there won't be opportunities to co-invest with them. Uh, I, I hope there are. We're looking for co-investors when we when we make investments. Uh, but I think our singular focus and the amount of capital is substantially different than trying to mm -hmm. leverage individual corporate arms. Um, you know that that also do other things. You know, you, you make an interesting point there, saying that you know the fund is building scientific exper expertise in the field that's unparalleled. And I think a lot about, you know, the world that I know, right? You know, the CF Foundation does their own venture work. They have, have a venture philanthropy model. Um, and I see the value, of course, to their, to their work as, of course, the financing they provide, but also the infrastructure that they provide too, right? If an idea makes it through the gauntlet of cystic fibrosis, um, you know, researchers and scientific expertise, like that is a signal that the technology might actually work and open up uh, the floodgates for, for further investment that are you know, from firms that are like bringing the real money 
to move these to move these ideas forward. And I, I definitely hear that 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 parallel there. And um, so I guess that goes leads into my next question: What, what is going to be the strength of the AMR Action Fund? And maybe, maybe you've already answered it. Uh, in part, I, I think I have. So I, I think the focus is is the strength. The amount of committed capital behind us is the strength. Um, you know, our SAB and uh, other capabilities we're building focused on this is going to bring a lot more to, than capital in, into the portfolio companies we're investing in. And, and frankly, companies overall, we we look to engage broadly in the field and, and talk to you know everyone ideally uh, as we try to find those companies we'll invest in. Um, but but we will bring obviously the capital and investment, but we will also bring intellectual capability. What is the right study to do? To do? And, and to your parallel to see a foundation, I think is great. Um, you know, I hope we bring that kind of credibility, but we will bring know-how as to where to go, um, who were the right uh, contract research organizations, uh, manufacturers, et cetera. Uh, where is the uh, intellectual expertise to address particular problems that that is faced in the development of new uh, new anti anti infective drugs. Um, so all of that I think is going to be be our strength. I think our linkage into the pharmaceutical industry is an opportunity uh, as well. Um, you know, there's enormous know how within the industry, uh, biotech and pharma that is is a potential to tap into to help the innovation across the field. Uh, wherever problems arise. Uh, and so I think th those are critical strengths. Again, our focus is, um, and, and a billion dollars is, is a good chunk of capital where I think the opportunity to maybe help bring other venture groups back into this field, uh, we can catalyze as well. So mm. if we're right and, and we're forward thinking and that some of these uh, macro uh, market challenges get fixed, um, you know, we, we, we think we can bring others back in. And in the short term, you know, others coming in with some trepidation that the growing financial need as the companies advanced uh, through clinical studies from the early mm -hmm. to the late is an opportunity where I think our billion dollars can give them comfort. They're not going to be left um, uh, hanging with, you know, on a pier, not quite getting to the other side of the river. Uh, so I think that helps as well uh, and, and is an aspect of uh, an opportunity that we can add to the, add to the discussion as well. So let, let's, let's look forward a little bit. Um, <clears throat> is the fund going to consider investment uh, into technologies that don't represent you know, the classic antibiotic as we think of them? Uh, and are there uh, you know, any other antibacterial technologies that you have your eye on, you know, maybe either, either non-traditional or sort of uh, novel in, in the way they work? Yeah, I, I think we want to take a broad look. My, my focus has always been uh, thinking about the patient first. I don't think uh, uh, you know, patients need, need to be treated. They need to have their, their disease cured, their infection cured. Um, and if that's a, a pill or an injection or what have you, I think it matters uh, fairly little. I think that's going to be our approach. That is our approach as well. Uh, traditional approaches have, have given uh, uh, just a you know fabulous uh, 80 years of success and really a golden age of antibiotics to you know transformative uh, patient benefit. If you go back to before antibiotics in the 30s and 40s, a simple operation uh, was that significant risk of infection and death or, or sepsis. Um, and we take for granted some of the benefits that antibiotics provide. It probably adds. Uh, eight or 10 years to the average life expectancy. 
um, from all those things. So, you know, I, I think um, we should not be, be blind to simply the old way. Uh, new ways offer a lot of promise. Um, if you think about resistance and and we've looked a lot at how resistance forms and, and what kind of resistance tends to be carried forward. You know, all the old approaches are, there are resistance approach, uh, approaches by microorganisms to all of them. Uh, and so new approaches offer an escape from that, at least for a period of time, uh, and maybe a little more time before resistance comes. Uh, additionally, new approaches uh, may give us new entrees to treat new, new infections in a better way. Uh, there's certainly plenty of very difficult to treat infections that new approaches might uh, be particularly um, amenable to, and not just complementary to what we have and, and perhaps synergistic. Um, so I, I don't want to be too limiting in, in that at all. We are looking at uh, atypical approaches, um, some of which have been around a long time and have shown great anecdotal success. And we'll look to think, how can we move these forward in a, a appropriate clinical studies that really prove their utility, uh, you know, things such as uh, phage, um, license, uh, antibodies, uh, et cetera. And that's just to name a few, and I don't mean to be exclusive to others. Um, each of them deserves a, a good hard look and understanding of how to progress them, where their patient benefit is, and, and then how do you prove that, and how does it fit in within the use of the other antibiotics. But we're not going to be focused on any one approach, but rather all approaches. And again, what gives us the greatest opportunity to provide the clinical benefit we need to see against these infections, mm. not, not what's the easiest path or, or anything else, but what is the greatest opportunity for clinical benefit? So let's, let's move to some more macro level stuff here as we sort of wind down, wind down this podcast episode. Um, do you think the AMR Action Fund and, and the AMR Action Funds being represents a shift in the way the biopharmaceutical industry is looking at antibiotics or even maybe more broadly, the way you know, society is looking at this issue? Um, I, I hope we, we will be a, a, a catalyst or um, a group that helps bring attention to this. I think you know, this has been a pandemic uh, that's been going on for an awfully long time. Um, and, and I think we take for granted the utility of antibiotics and we just assume that all the benefits we have are gonna continue to exist in the future, but it won't without uh, really focused effort and new antibiotics coming to market. Um, so I don't know if we represent that shift yet. Uh, I hope we're a, a leading indicator of that shift and, and help catalyze some of that shift. I think the, the industry, the scientists, the entrepreneurs, um, uh, physicians and clinicians you know, recognize the challenge, want to be active in the area, um, want to develop new drugs. And I think the hindrance has just been, been capital over the last decade or, or even more. Um, and I think if we can help bring attention to that. We can help catalyze the, the changes that need to be put in place uh, uh, around the world to reinvigorate that market. Uh, th then the shift will be accelerated and, and, and absolute. Uh, I think until that happens, you know, there's more attention. I think COVID has uh, reminded us as to the impact pandemics can have. Uh, the difference is, is that the AMR pandemic is slow burning it's slowly ramping up. And sometimes it's hard to notice a, a fire that's out of control and uh, the wind is not blowing in your direction yet. And so we get complacent. And I think that's, that's how it's been. Um, 
So I, I hope the answer is yes, this, this is just a leading indicator of much change. The state of health, we'll be right back. You know, I, I think uh, you said something a little, maybe a little profound, but I, I want to make sure I can highlight it for, for our listeners. You said that people might be taking for granted, you know, the utility that and the benefit that antibiotics provide in the here and now. And I think that's something that I've certainly seen in my own life, right? I, of course, coming on the entire other end of the spectrum here, you know, having lived with a resistant infection and going through the conversations that, um, you know, lead me to understand why I'm losing different antibiotic options or why I only have so many left. Um, and, and I think that's a profound thing because, um, it's, it's a complex issue, right? The market, the market issue is complex. Not everyone understands how reimbursement for drugs works in the United States or even how, uh, you know, uh, investment, uh, strategies bring drugs to patients, right? It's, it's a very long process. It's one that's not exactly in the public eye. And then you compound that with the very unique way that antibiotics work and lose efficacy over time. Uh, that when we start adding all these things up together, you have just like this giant mess of an issue that you need to pull apart one string at a time. And I think that's where a lot of the, you know, at least urgency from my perspective is lost. Uh, and I'd be curious to, to, you know, maybe get some comments why, why you think this is something that maybe not necessarily happening underneath the table, but is sort of festering uh, before, it, before it boils over. I think that there's been a number of reasons. I think a number of things have come together, um, you know, some uh, unintended consequences of some policies that were put in place that uh, uh, disincentivize hospitals from maybe using the latest antibiotic that might be most appropriate for a patient uh, uh, with DRGs. And I don't want to get too much into the weeds here, but there's been a number of, of uh, headwinds or impediments to it. Uh, the lack of a market, the bankruptcies, et cetera, have all uh, conspired to expose uh, the challenges we face and you know, difficult, risky drug discovery on top of that. And, and really so much innovation in other areas that, uh, that doesn't have those impediments that's drawn capital away. So you, you combine uh, all of those things together and th that's where we are today. I think. You know, the analogy is if we think about our, our infrastructure and, and roads and bridges, we've, you know, have a bridge uh, across a major river. Uh, it was built in you know, the 1950s like, and antibiotics came out. You need to constantly maintain that, right? You need to invest in uh, repainting it and repaving it and making sure it's in good shape. And uh, at some point in time, you may have to replace it. And so that investment over decades is the same thing that we need here. And if you don't invest in it, the, these things crumble and, and collapse and, and drop into the river. Um, you know, and then you realize that the crisis you're in and the cost of replacing it and the cost of society uh, is immense in that period of time as, as you're rushing to fix it. Uh, you know, a similar analogy is uh, you know, looking at COVID and, and the phenomenal success and, and rescue really we've had from it uh, through the vaccine work. Those vaccines didn't weren't created overnight. It took a year of, of, of just uh, uh, remarkable work by, by the companies and, and scientists. But you need to think back, it was probably a decade or more of research and, and work and investment into the technologies that enabled the vaccines to be potentially useful here and, and applied um, you know, through enormous work over the year since. Um, if we didn't have that investment over the 10 years before, 
we wouldn't be where we are now. Um, you know, and, and thank goodness we had that investment, um, you know, to be able to come out of this. But, you know, I think that's, that's really how, how one needs to think about it, is investment in the infrastructure of healthcare uh, that you need to make to maintain the quality that we have in the system. And if we don't invest in that, um, you know, the quality will decline and, and the human consequence to that is, is great. Um, you know, pe people will die and, and do die today that, you know, we, we, if we do what we need to do here, we, we can reduce that dramatically, mm -hmm. not only in the US, but around the world. That, that's certainly the main goal. Um, and in a similar vein, and my, my last question for here today is what does the AMR Action Fund need to achieve to mean that it was a success? Yeah, I, th I think that to me is multifactorial. As I look ahead some years, um, there's a number of things I'd like to see uh, achieved, not only by us, by um, you know, uh, society broadly, by policymakers and, and governments around the world and scientists and the like. So um, many are beyond our direct control, but I think critically important to to, to me personally, to us as a society and, and to patients today and in the future. Um, you know, may, maybe the first one is this, you know, I think, I expect we will have financed and, and brought to approval two to four and, and I think probably more new antibiotics um, and begin to see their impact on patients in treating drug resistant infections, saving many lives and providing much needed benefit uh, to patients, their families and society. Uh, I think it's notable as we think about that success and as I think about it and, and look forward, you know, these benefits accrue for many decades. They're, they're not just short term. Um, you know, each of these new antibiotics will have, you know, increasing benefit over time uh, and benefit not only us today, um, but, but next, you know, generations to come just as the current generation of antibiotics have. We do need to remember you know, that benefit is not forever, uh, and we need a steady state, sustainable environment to continue to drive innovation so that we always have the next needed antibiotic. Um, so that, that's the first one. Um, I think the probably the other really important one, maybe more important in some ways, is you know I want to see that we've catalyzed needed market reforms such that investment capital flows again naturally into AMR research and development from venture capital firms, public markets, uh, et cetera. Uh, and through that, we've created uh, and reinvigorated a steady state uh, incentive for investment and innovation that drives the future new antibiotic development and, and brings patient, patient benefit forward um, perpetually. Um, and that sustainable environment really is, is the critical thing to treat new emergent infections that will continue to crop up. Um, you know, I think another important thing as I look forward, thinking I'm looking back, um, is that through our investment that, that we've also kept our scientists engaged, um, that we've facilitated the training of the next generation of scientists uh, in this field uh, to continue to develop the needed drugs we have here, um, and, and that we do that before our current generation retires and their collective knowledge is lost. That, that's another thing that worries me. As I look back in my career, um, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, uh, I was involved at Pharmacy Upjohn who developed Zyvox, which has been a, a great drug for gram-positive infection. 
And most of my colleagues who were active in that uh, are either retired or nearing retirement. And if we don't continue to invest in the space, uh, we'll lose that knowledge. And those individuals won't be able to transfer their knowledge to the next generation. And we're going to make it that much harder for us to mm-hmm. you know, continue to develop the drugs we desperately need here. So I think that there, to me, there's an urgency to that. Uh, and if I look forward six or eight or 10 years looking back, I hope that we're able to facilitate that continued training and bringing new, young, brilliant scientists into the field um, and not have them do other things. That, that again, is, is important, but, but to the detriment of, of, of uh, new anti-infectives. Um, I'd like to see better stewardship and access programs throughout the world, really, again, focused on bringing the right drug to the patient at the right moment in time uh, in order to effectively treat the infection, number one, and number two, to try to limit the spread of resistance and the growth of resistance around the world. And I think those things are inextricably linked. Uh, Now that's gonna take a global effort, uh, has a lot of challenges to it um, in low and middle income countries, but I think is is quite important. Um, I'd like to see um, the low middle, countries um, find a way to better utilize uh, our clinical trials uh, in those environments as well. This is where there's a fairly high degree of resistance, uh, and yet they don't have the infrastructure to participate in in clinical trials and and helping to develop the desperate antibiotics that are to come. Uh, And then the last piece I I think I'd like to see is, is I I have a fairly extensive list here, but I think they all, you know, they're all interrelated into creating an ecosystem that maximizes the value of the antibiotics from the standpoint of patient benefit, minimizes future resistance and the like. But we need a a really good comprehensive surveillance system of resistance across the globe. Uh, and, And through that, we'll know what's coming right? What sort of stewardship and access can minimize that uh, and to identify for future drug development, the highest priorities of where research is needed to have the greatest impact. And and I don't think we do a good job of that, uh, not as well as we should um, uh, around the globe. And, you know, we see that in COVID as well. There's certainly some, some places that have a lot more understanding of how mutations are forming and others less so. Uh, and the more of that we have, I think the better are we are, the better we are positioned to stay ahead of things. And so that, that's the last piece of, uh, you know, these interrelated things that to, to maximize our, our benefit to, to patients in the long, long run. So yeah, I think, I, I think a, it's a, a long list, I'm afraid. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a comprehensive list is what it is, right? You know, from the steady stream of antibiotics that are coming uh, in a functional marketplace, um, you know, uh, trial infrastructure in the underdeveloped world, uh, scientists as a resource, something that I personally never thought about before. You know, I think I'm always thinking about patients as a resource for clinical trials, but you have, you know, further upstream, you've got the scientists that are doing the basic lab work um, as, as a resource in the labs. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the, the macro level surveillance, which, uh, you know, certainly is evident that it wasn't in place for us to catch COVID in time. And I think uh, certainly something that we're still working through. And I think, I think um, those are some lofty goals and uh, you know, consider this patient uh, on this side of the microphone as someone who's rooting for the AMR action fund to 
to, to, to play its, to play its part and its valuable role uh, in achieving those. Um, but, but Henry, I want to, I want to say thank you for, for coming on the show today. Uh, this has been great. And uh, I've enjoyed this trip down, uh, down what it takes to bring an antibiotic to market. Uh, thanks, Gunnar. Th- thanks much again for, for the chance to, to have the discussion and, and very much look forward to continuing it. That's all for this week. Be sure to join us next week. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at g 17 Esiason, and you can check out my website at GunnarEsiason.com. The Antibiotic Resistance Series continues next week. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to The State of Health and then leave a rating and a review. A big thank you to Henry Skinner and the AMR Action Fund for today's interview. State of Health is produced by Bob Dwyer. Thanks to Odyssey for making this podcast possible. We'll see you next week.